0: Right, Tara and I see things pretty much diametrically opposed in just about everything when it comes to basketball. That's what makes this kind of go. All
1: right. Yeah, and he exaggerates if you haven't uh, noticed that. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazers Edge Podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazers Outsider Danny Meringue. Danny, how you going?
0: It's going. Look at this. We got the we got the video camera rolling this time, so I know we are like
1: super high tech. It. We're pretending that we're way more together than we usually are because we have a guest today. First time on the show. So happy. First time, long time. You, first, I don't know. We don't know if he's ever listened <laughs> to us. He may have never listened to this before again. So let's not assume anything, Dan. Uh, but we want to welcome Brian No to the show from the Brian Noe Show of 620 AM RIP City Radio. Also has weekend uh, spots on Fox Sports. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I just want
2: to dive into the background, Tara, with the Rip City banner, like the leveling process is is not quite there. What was the issue with that?
1: Well, if you could see the whole thing, you would see it's actually artistically draped. What you're seeing, Ah. what he's referring to is in the background is my Rip City flag, which was given to me by my former co-host, Joe Wolfenstein. And like I said, if you could see the whole thing, you would see that it's quite artistically draped. However, you're only seeing a corner of it. So you're not getting like the full effect. So it'd be like looking at the blazers and like only looking at Mario Hazonia and not the whole picture. Oh oh, what? I'm not making any judgment. I'm just saying if you looked at one blazer and not the whole team. That was that was like that was a line out of my bag. I don't know what you're insinuating.
2: (laughs) I would say it looks more like Wenyon Gabriel. It's given me hustle. It's
1: trying.
0: Yeah. you know? it's, it's, yeah. it's really trying to hang on there
1: I would just like to point out that I said that With no judgment whatsoever And you guys were the ones who rushed in With the commentary So don't try putting this all on me I really
0: enjoy the fact that we have very Three very different dynamics Going on in our backgrounds right now As we're talking about Tara's flag <laughs> yeah. Brian has his Christmas tree up <laughs> Brian has and his Christmas hey. tree up and this, this is a it's real so thing going. And, yeah. and when, when do you take it down Brian?
2: Okay, it stays until Super Bowl Sunday. Mm. That's the baseline. Now I Super feel Bowl like Sunday's Super is Bowl Sunday has passed. Right. So I look at it where it's basically three weeks old. You know, some people look at it from Christmas and a couple of months. That's not how I get down. It stays up until at least Super Bowl Sunday.
1: Until it yes, comes down.
0: The, well the thing is, is it's it's just, until it comes down. <laughs> it's three weeks old, you know, air quotes. But like yeah. I mean, I feel like that's like 90 in kindling years.
2: Something like that. <laughs> but I, I love it. I love the star. I love the lights. Yeah, it's I don't want to part with it. It's a nice yet.
0: little ambiance. I mean, I'm literally stuffed yeah. in a corner of a room right now because the entire house is being remodeled. And I have stuff just piled around me in this little tiny shoe closet so i can't really say anything right now
1: so listeners will have clued in that this is the first time we've ever actually video skyped (laughs) before so which hence the 20 minute discussion on what our backgrounds look like
0: well normally i got a nice little setup and now i just got got construction everywhere mm -hmm. and it's just it's, it's a sad 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 first introduction.
1: <laughs> well, it's only going to go up from here. And speaking of going up from here, uh, Brian, I would love to know just a little bit about you, like where you came from and how you got into sports, so that when we get into the takes portion of the program, we'll have a little context.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm from South Bend, Indiana. That's where I grew up.
0: Ooh. I've lived in-
2: Can. Wow. Wow. That is... <laughs> that's obnoxious that is unsavory behavior on your part danny Moran. outrageous (laughs) that sounds like something a westbrook basher would say so it's not uh, but yeah i'm from south bend indiana tara i've lived in many different areas doing the sports talk stuff Where I lived in Fresno for a little while, lived in Nashville for a little while, lived in Albany, New York for a while. So I've been doing this for quite a long time. After school, I moved to L.A. for music. I played guitar for half my life. So believe it or not, I had long hair. was playing in heavy metal bands. So there you go. There's your background.
1: Well, but where did the sports come in? Is it from growing up in South Bend? Is it something you've always wanted to do? How did you end up, uh, you know, having radio and, you know, having spots where you get to talk about it for a living?
2: Yeah, well, I've always loved sports. And when I was doing the music thing in L.A., it was just going to take too long to get somewhere. So I moved back to, it was Indianapolis at the time. And I had been listening to sports talk. I liked it. I've always loved sports. I just didn't know how I could be involved in it. And I bumped into a buddy of mine that I went to school with. His brother was a sales guy at a station in South Bend, my hometown. And they were starting a sports show. They needed a producer. So I tried out for that and got it. And so I produced a show, co-hosted a show, and then just moved up from there. But that's pretty much how I got into it. If I didn't bump into a friend, I might not have ever gotten into it to begin with.
1: So did you grow up a Pacers fan?
2: No, 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 definitely.
0: Grew up <laughs> a bulls fan.
2: It was MJ. It was the bulls just 90 miles West of my hometown. So it was definitely Chicago in those days.
1: All right. Well, great. That gives us a gives us a a starting point so that uh, when you say stuff, we kind of understand a little bit more about where you're coming from. So, y'all, we are two games into the CJ McCollum. I don't know if it's like it's an era, (laughs) you know, uh, I don't know what we're going to call it, because hopefully Damien will be back within a few weeks. But I'm wondering what your impressions are on how things are going. Uh, Brian, do you want to go first since you're the guest?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, they beat the Pistons. Barely. I <laughs> know barely? <laughs> uh, how it's going <laughs> right now. <like. laughs> and uh, it's, it's not all CJ's fault. CJ played great against the Pistons. It's just Terry Stott said it after the game against Detroit. He was like, yeah, I don't plan on playing four bench guys at the same time going forward. So they're just – they're in a tough spot right now. CJ did his thing against Detroit. But when you look at, critically, what's on the court and what players are providing, it's going to leave a lot to be desired. That was an edge-of-your-seat game against Detroit. And I go back to Kevin Calabro, my guy. When he was announcing the starting lineups, when it was Luke, he was like, Mikhailish? I, I don't know who this guy is. You know? That's who Detroit had on the floor as starters.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, when you looked at the pictures, the Pistons game, you had to have the the, the photos side by side unless you're covering the, these guys. It's just the reality of what that team was last night. I mean, I knew I'm just trying to look at the roster from last night. I knew everybody who played, but I had to double check on Snell and Galloway because I was like, oh, that's right. They're there. And then obviously uh, Henson and Knight, both coming over from the Cavs, it was like, oh crap, I, I'm so used to Brandon Knight being hurt that I didn't even know he was active until it, he subbed into the game, because it seemingly been gone for a couple of years. But the frustration, I think, that has to exist for Blazers fans from that game last night has to be the fact that they damn near lost a game when the best player on the floor for the Pistons was Derek Rose. Like and 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 listen, we got to give Derrick Rose a little bit of credit here as far as like how he's rehabbed his basketball career. Like he's actually an effective player. He's a solid player. He can't shoot to save his life, but he's an effective player. Um, But if we're talking about how good the C.J. McCollum era is, I feel like we should. And and C.J. definitely outshined him. But I think even the collective group that they have. If you're putting them down on paper, CJ, Mello, Areza, even Trent Jr. and Simons, I think you look at that and then you look at the Pistons and you go, I'm sorry, what? Like, Yeah. Don't get me wrong. and I don't want to take too much shine away from Christian Wood because Christian Wood's going to be a, a stud coming into this league. He's a guy that they literally cleared room for to give him this opportunity. I think he's going to be a, a very, very good pro as, 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 as the year goes. Maybe even play a decade long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tara's heck, just rolling her eyes now.
2: Back? Is that what you were doing right there? What's that? Was that an Andy Dalton callback?
0: No, 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 no. I'll, I'll we'll touch on that one, I'm sure. But no, okay. I, I have said since Gary Trent Jr. was at uh, Hoop Summit two years ago that if he figures some things out, he'll be in the NBA for at least a decade. And I've mm. that's been kind of the point that I keep reiterating because he's got a skill set that's, and you talked about it a couple days on the show, um, about you know guys like JJ Redick and and Kyle Korver and, and the shooters, but if you can add something else to that, like Gary seemingly has defensively, you can stick sure. around in the league for approximately ten years. Yeah.
1: Give <laughs> And I've been, I've been begging all season for Dan to say specifically what we can all enjoy about Gary Trent Jr.'s game because I love Gary Trent Jr. and I have all kinds of things to say about him. And all Dan will say was, yeah, if you figure some things out, he's going to have a 10-year career, decade career. So anyway, I think we've Again, established we're going to have a decade career, but it's going to be a good decade career. And my yes. point has always been not that he's just going to be like, you know, somebody's 10th man off the bench, that he's going to be an g- important part of a real NBA rotation.
0: No, he could legitimately be if if he if he elevates up and continues on his trajectory, he could be not a not a Chris Middleton like top tier elite three and D guy. Cause he doesn't have the size, but if we're talking like prime Danny green with maybe a little bit more of a handle without having some of the, the length, I don't think that's anywhere outside of the realm of possibilities. And for people who like, Oh, you know, it's an okay player. No, that's a damn good player. That's, Multiple-time champion with multiple teams, Danny Green. Like, that's a very good player for everybody trying to establish where pecking orders are. It's almost like being slightly better than Andy Dalton. (laughs)
1: Well, wow. I, <laughs> I'm just glad they signed him for three years so that we have him at least for, for one more season, but let's, let's talk a li- let's dive a little bit more into though what we can about what we have seen from CJ, because this is CJ's yeah. chance to shine. You know, he's been handed the ball and you know, it's time for him to take over. So what did you see that worked well for him? And what did you see that uh, was more of a struggle?
2: Well, I just saw that, he hit a rough patch for a few weeks where his shot just wasn't dropping, but he was very efficient. He shot 50% from the field and you saw the all around game. You shot saw him shoot from three. He nailed a couple of them. He has that weird sort of herky jerky, go down the lane, get some space, the mid range game. So you can see what he can do, you know? And his shot just hasn't been dropping as efficiently as of late. So it was basically a callback for the type of player that CJ can be, especially when Dame isn't on the court and he's asked to do a whole lot more. Like he's fully capable of doing what he did last night. It wasn't anything that was, oh gosh, I didn't know he could do this. It was just, he just hasn't been very efficient leading up to last night. It was nice to see him be efficient again.
0: I'm I'm gonna get a little nitpicky here. When um, we talked about this Shop earlier, him. Brian. Yeah, I, I know. And I, I was t- clicking through some things as I started to think about this. The I think the one thing that and it's it's unfair to totally go this way. So I'm I'm more posing it as a question than anything else, because we only get to see CJ in these instances when Dame goes down. It sh- it skews things because there's a major option that's not on the floor. But the one thing I seem to notice when CJ's running the offense, let's let's say they let's go back to the Milwaukee game when guys were still still healthy, you know, or healthier, let's say. Um, and he gets fantastic production. He and again, over these last two games, he's averaging incredible box score numbers. But when I look at his assists, his assists look and feel different in that, Where Dame doesn't always get these double-digit assists, where it seems like when CJ's in running offense, he does, I feel like Dame gets a lot more hockey assists, where he's not – he's creating, but it's creating in more of the team concept, where when CJ's creating, it's a different type. It's a direct creation. Like, the creation is coming solely based on the pass that C.J. McCollum is making. So, for, for instance, last night, C.J. drives, draws two, and has that slick little dump-off pass to Hassan. C.J. draws two late, finds Mello at the, on the wing for basically what ends up being the game winner. A lot of it is this primary creation, which is a fantastic skill. But when we watch Damian Lillard... He drives, he draws that same play, and it kicks out to the wing. Now the defense shifts over because they have to recover because they collapse so hard on Dame. And now the whole defense is in rotation, and that's how you get more guys involved. It swings from the corner, back up top, back inside, back outside, and you see the defense scrambling around. But at the same time, it's hard to evaluate that with CJ right now because he doesn't have Dame out there to have – that gravity that cj is obviously giving him when he's on the floor so i don't know i just when i watch the two of them cj just seems that when he play makes and this isn't a criticism it seems to be a direct assist like that's that's the goal is let me put this guy in a position to succeed by doing a b and c whereas when dame does it it's let me put pressure on the opponent and then let everything fall as it as it kind of does, where Dame bends an entire defense, CJ's looking to bend a matchup. If so, that
1: makes sense. So CJ has had played most of his games when he's the primary ball handler alongside the bench players and he's yes. had two games where he was the primary uh you know offensive creator and he didn't have Damian Lillard in there alongside him as mm-hmm. you just said. So I feel like as you said it's a little bit unfair to compare the two of them. So what I'm wondering is where from what you've seen where do you see he can make the most improvement considering he doesn't have Damien there alongside it, and it is up to him to do all of this work with a roster that is currently less effective than the roster that Damien has ever had. I
0: know yeah. how weird it sounds, right? We talked about this, Brian. the The idea of how short-handed they are, the position that puts them in. There's no good way to go about it, but at some point in time, you have to put the ball in the other guy's hands, right?
1: I mean, he's had two games. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you want a
2: little more ball movement, but I think I totally understand what you're saying, Danny, but they just have two different styles. If yes. you look at Dame, Dame is, he can blow right by you. And while CJ can do that, he's more left to right. Mm-hmm. He's not going to blow right by and create these other opportunities to set guys up or have the hockey assist, if you will. So I look at that and I say, this is just who they are. You know, I don't see CJ having that same blow by you element to his game. And he's he's just not doing it. He's just not the same type of guy. So when he's running the show, that's what you're going to get. It's going to be a different version of the Blazers. And there aren't going to be as many opportunities because CJ can set up his own shot all day and get a guy leaning one way, go the other way. He's got counter moves for days. But when it comes to setting the other guys up and the you know, the movement off the ball leaves a lot to be desired too. So you couple those two things together and you're going to get a team that doesn't have a whole lot of assists.
1: The I'm glad you brought up the movement off the ball because over the last two games, there's been a lot of times where I looked down and wondered like who's moving. Yeah, <laughs> um, And like, what, what do you think that is attributed to? I mean, it, they're not, I mean, part of it, I guess, is because CJ's usually the one who does the corner to corner running. I've seen Trent do that a little bit, and maybe they're just not used to it doing it with the ball in CJ's hands. Or what do you think is it leading to this lack of movement?
0: There's three guys on this roster who do it. It's CJ, it's Ant, it's Gary. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. You're putting CJ as the primary ball handler. You're putting Ant as the primary ball handler with the second unit. Gary's trying to fill some of that. Mello's not moving. Mello's playing <laughs> one side of the floor. Mello's playing high post. He's playing baseline. That's that. It's, other that, or it's in the pick and roll, pick and pop like that's that. That two man game that CJ and Mello ran last night in the fourth quarter. They played it on the right side of the floor. I think for the final six minutes of the game, like they, they had, they have spots. That they're just that's, that's, that's the mellow spot. Like, he, that's he. That's where he's made his career is on that side of the floor. Hassan, what have we said about him all season? Please roll harder to the rim. We're 60 games in. It's not going to change now. So you've got two guys out there already in the starting lineup who aren't moving around a ton and playing the Terry Stotts flow. Like, we all have our complaints, I think, about how—well, maybe not Tara, because she loves them both dearly—about how Mo and Chief fed, fed into the off or fit into the offense last year. But you're talking about two athletic guys who, well, when engaged, in Mo's case, were willing cutters, willing workers. Right. Where that's very different now.
2: I wonder too if you look, take a guy like Jake Layman. If you follow me like this, if Jake played on this Blazers team, yeah. I don't think he would cut as much as he did last year when they played a different style mm-hmm. because it's more isolation. It's more CJ doing his thing. It's more mellow doing his thing. It's not to say that he would never cut because he's that type of player, yeah. but I do think he would cut a little bit less because it's a lot more ISO driven basketball. And so if you look at Whiteside, if you dump it to white side and he does his thing with his, his odd push shot, that's effective. It's kind of <laughs> Somehow like it goes in, in like, it's kind of odd looking, but it's effective. Yeah. You know, that's what white side does with the shot. I, I just, I wonder how much is Simons is Gary, not moving a ton off the ball. If it's just them, their style, or it's. Sort of a byproduct of this specific offense, too. I think it's a mixture of both.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's probably a fair comparison because you're talk. You can't rotate. You can't work off ball unless all five guys are on that same page. Melo has been a primary ISO guy his entire career. Hassan has never really been a primary role guy. Um, CJ, as much as he runs off ball. He, and he's a great catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter. That's not where he gets his, his usage yet. He gets his usage with the ball on his hands. And like you are talking about, that shiftiness. If he's, they're drawing up a play right now, and this is what I saw at least in the first quarter of that game against Detroit. That first quarter was like CJ at his best for CJ in that they ran Spurs early offense. They ran drag screens. They ran slight uh, uh, double picks. And it was shot, 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 shot. I can't remember how many. I bet you if I go back and watch that and counted in that first quarter, there's maybe five shots that were taken with uh, less than 10 seconds on the shot clock because they were getting into everything very quick. There was probably 10 shots that were taken without a pass being made.
1: So we can talk about that first quarter all we want, but what happened in the second quarter? Because they were stuck at three points for – I thought it was going to be another Toronto Raptors situation. Yeah. I was so worried about that. They finally ended up scoring a few at the end to bring it up to 13 total for the quarter. But, like, I, I mean, we already know that the, the defense is not their strength, but there's been those, you know, more than one <laughs> quarter like that over this, uh, you know, over the season. Mm-hmm. What's happening in those?
2: I think a couple of things. One, their defense typically blows. Like, that's one of the things. Yeah. And they do little things wrong where they don't get back on defense. They don't stop the ball, you know, little things like that. And then also, I think offensively, their style it lends itself to getting out of rhythm, right? It's not an offense where guys are touching the ball, moving it, moving it, touching it, moving it. You get a shot, I get a shot. It's very ISO driven. And you can get into those type of lulls where you're not touching the ball. And then all of a sudden, like three possessions later, you do. And you're not in rhythm. It's almost like getting into the game off the bench and you're cold. So I think it's a blend of those things where, defensively they've always left a lot to be desired this season and then when they aren't scoring and a, a team's getting out in transition it just snowballs and gets away from them
1: yeah that's what it looked like happened against uh in the pelicans game and also against against memphis and you know it's kind of like we've we've touched on it already that like relitigating everything that's happened with this particular roster like I'm not sure how much it's worth it.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so I kind of want to move us on to because we got some really good uh, listener questions. So before we do that, do y'all have anything you want to finish up with about the last couple of games?
0: I would just say that, like, I've tried to walk this line. You and I have talked about this a ton this year, Sarah and Hell Brian. This idea of being critical on things that need, you need to be critical on while not like just hammering down and just beating it in because they are so shorthanded and they are the Island of Misfit toys and nothing really fits together right now because of so many different variables. And like, I think the, the, the point that Brian brought up about the different, like, I think there's different types of ISOs. We've talked about this Tara for years. The idea that, you know, A certain type of isolation, but the way Damian Lillard goes about it, the way C.J. McCollum goes about it, when they're healthy, is a functioning good thing for the Blazers because it goes in and out, back and forth, then it comes back to one of them. So the guys stay involved. Right now, this is the type of isolation, by necessity, that's also the ugly kind, which is dribble the ball for 18 seconds sometimes and then force up a shot because you just – don't really have a feel for what needs to happen. And this is, I think, what we're seeing right now is what people thought they were seeing a year ago. Like, like the types of isolations. Like, this is quite, this is the bad isolation. But they're doing it because they have to. And that's why I don't necessarily begrudge it. But at the same time, it I think it does highlight the differences between particularly how Dame and CJ go about being that primary creator. Right. Yeah. It's,
2: it, it's just, it's a... Frustrating season is yeah. the best way I could put it is they didn't have one lead against the Pelicans. They grinded it out against the Pistons, you know, and you see the injured players. I'm not going to put it all in the injuries, but that factors in greatly. When you see Dame on the bench and Nurk on the bench and Zach on the bench and on and on and on, you know that when those guys are healthy, this style of basketball is going to look much different than it currently does. Yeah. So, it's one of those deals where I get it. We're breaking it down. We're looking at it for what it is. But when they get their guys back, it's going to be completely different. Mm
0: -hmm. Please, God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I have to say, one moment that I enjoy like, it was about partway through the third quarter. I was like, I said to the person that I went to the game with, I was like, Okay, we've got to figure out a way to enjoy this because it, there's <laughs> this is not the normal Blazers. We have to come at, we have to figure out what angle we're going to approach this with. So we started watching Damien and how he, what he was doing on the sideline. And at the very end of the game when it became clear that the Blazers needed to make the run to push this away, it was one of the last timeouts where uh CJ and Dame were talking and you could just see Damien saying, you need to take over this game and win this game. This is all you, this is all on you. And I just thought that was interesting. Cause I thought how many nights over the last six years has Damien been the one who had to say that to himself basically. Yeah. And now he was like, CJ, you have to do this. This is, if we're going to win this, this is all on you. And then he went and he, he, at one point he scored like nine points in a row. Um, that it was just like, I mean, yeah, that if you're going to win a game, that's what you have to do. And no one's going to be able to ever tell these guys don't go out and win this game. I just thought that was interesting to watch Damien share that with, with, And, and
2: you might think of this too, just as a silver lining, they're taking their lumps right now, but a lot of dudes are getting playing time that wouldn't be getting playing time. And that can be really helpful when the big dogs come back and they're healthy.
0: Ant getting that time, Gary getting that time. Both those things are good things for this for this uh, franchise. But on top of that, give me my Wenyan. Give me my Wenyan Gabriel. Baby.
1: <laughs> so tell yeah. me what you are liking so much about Wenyan Gabriel.
0: He's got a basketball IQ and you can see that come through the fold in a in a lot of different ways. There was a time during the game last night where Hazonia, Little, and Wendy are all on the floor at the same time. And it's crazy to think about it. That's the most switchable Portland has been defensively all season. And they were, they were communicating, they were switching, they were recovering, they were hedging, they were getting back, they were being physical at the point of attack. They were denying drives, they were bumping cutters, and it was like, good God, it's only five minutes of this, but this is fun. Uh, when did, I think he ended up with four points, five rebounds, but I don't, I don't care about the box score stuff with him. I do not care. I want to see how he impacts the game without his hands being on the ball, because as an end of rotation guy, that's how you get measured. How many wins do you get without touching the ball? And he was everywhere. He created an entire possession all by himself on the offensive glass boxed out two guys, tips out a missed shot to Melo. Melo misses it again he tips it back out over two guys again just hustle putting bodies on guys getting after it gets back down defensively gets caught in a screen fights over recovers alters a shot it comes off they grab an offensive rebound he alters another shot boxes the guy out and then Damon, uh excuse me cj and trent are going off the other way and it was it was just it just kept going and it was 5 minutes of just ratchet up to 11 but it was controlled chaos. He's altering shots. He's being physical without there was a there was a play he got called for a foul on and I watched it back probably about 10 times. It was a block shot. They, they said that they he got him, you know, uh, up top. They wanted to say they got him down low fine, but he challenged it vertically and, and got a block and I, I'm just like he's he wasn't even supposed to be there. He rotated over from the other side. And he played it perfectly. Like, there's so many fine points, as simple, quote-unquote, as the Blazers' defense is supposed to be, for whoever's playing that center position to be the guy who comes above the free throw line and hedges or puts pressure out there to recover, to play the pick and roll depth properly, there is a lot of nuance to that because you have to understand where the other four guys are at and where those angles are coming from. And for him to do that in such a manner, in such a short time with so many different guys, it's really, really impressive.
2: I I think it was hilarious because he was talking, I think it was, he he was talking to Brooke, but he was talking about the players that he knew before Mm -hmm. being a Blazer. And he said, Anthony Simmons.
0: Simmons, Yeah.
2: And and I'm not dogging him for that. It just shows that these dudes, they're just sort of thrown together and it's going to take time for it to gel. There's no doubt. But I, I would build off that real fast by saying, He reminds me, although he's not the defender, he's not the rebounder, he reminds me of Dennis Rodman from the standpoint of he gets everything out of what he has, right? Like he is a consummate grinder. And it's not like he's going to go through the motions. He's just one of those dudes that's going to be relentless. And I love that for a team like this that since it's gotten to 2020, it hasn't been nearly as much on an effort level. Their Mm -hmm. effort has been pretty good. In 2020. Some nights it's been outstanding. But you go back to some December December was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So to have a grinder like Gabriel out there, it's nice. It's a breath of fresh air.
1: I love how poetic you guys can both get about these guys who should be the, you know, twelfth, thirteenth player on the (laughs) roster, but they're getting playing time. Uh so expectations, delivery.
0: (laughs) Right. When you when you clear that bar, it's just it's good.
1: Yeah, it it is good. And, but it's all, it's also like, you know, next year, how many of them are even going to be back here?
0: (laughs) Portland, in in my opinion, should tender an offer to, to He's a guy that he was a, he was a top prospect coming out of high school. He, he's a blue blood. He's, you know, quite literally. He is a guy who has the physical profile that Portland is lacking right now long strong athletic moves his feet incredibly well portland does not have any of those guys right now and if they can get him for a minimum for a couple years i would or you know a progressive deal for a young guy i would take it in a heartbeat because they this will this will make you smile tara joe thought of this the other day he's a little bit different because i think he's a little bit more athletic and i think he can end up doing some more things but he could be this this new young Ed Davis. Mm. I see a
1: lot of that in him. Huh. Interesting. I, will not get,
2: I won't get poetic, Tara. Well, you about, already did. I, I won't get it about Hazonia. That, that won't be happening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to uh, some listener questions. Because uh, we did have one about Hazonia. So let me go ahead and figure out where we're going to start. Um, Okay, so this question is from Belgian Blazer, who asks, is there any hope for Rio being a serviceable NBA player? I knew he wasn't great, but I'm still somewhat shocked that he is this bad. Maybe it's a mental thing. And then he says, also, if I can add another question, what exactly is his role supposed to be? What is his skill set? So keeping in mind that I like to keep everything as positive as we can and frame it uh, in positive statements. Let me hear what you have to say about Hazonia, Brian. <laughs>
2: Ooh, okay. All right. So That's a the challenge first... for
1: you, but you're a radio guy. So you, can, you yeah. can work on your feet.
2: Oh, I can BS you. I can <laughs> BS. <you. laughs>
1: I don't know. I've been talking to Dan for like four or five years. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I think it's, it's just got to be a perfect scenario for Mario because that tweeter is right. He struggles with confidence. You go back before the season began in a preseason game, he's flying around. I know it's preseason. I get that. But against the Nuggets, he's flying around. He's setting the table. He's taking shots. Like He looked like a completely different player. And then he got off to a rough start and he got into his own head. So if he's playing for another team and has a different – situation he gets off to a better start yeah you can tell that the guy has talent at in instances you can see it if it's a transition bucket you know if he'll have a good defensive player he's a hustle guy he's a grinder like he has some ability it's not like he's totally horrible in every facet he's just in his own head he knows he's struggling and he's got to be in a situation where he gets off to a better start, and he isn't in his own head.
0: I had higher hopes for him uh, coming into this year. I'm gonna gonna make the comparison, and it's not because he's a white dude. It's because I think it's what's happened. It's it's very much like Myers. He's so deep in his own head. I've talked to plenty of folks around the team, plenty of guys who were out there with Mario, who he beats himself up. I mean. Yeah. I mean viscerally he is like he's in practice, he makes a mistake. he just locks in on it, just it eats him up because he's a perfectionist. He works so hard and he can't get over that hurdle. And I think you saw him when he was comfortable in preseason. And I'm not just again, the preseason caveats, all that, throw it out the window. He was playing with confidence. He was flying up and down the floor. The second unit looked like he was going to have legs. It was like, well, damn, they're going to get out and run finally. And I know we get a lot of that in preseason from every team, but it looked more than just preseasony. There was real competence and confidence. And for the the second part of his question was, what is his role supposed to be? He was supposed to be six foot eight power forward Evan, Evan Turner. He was supposed to come in and help initiate the offense. He right. was going to be the focal point, though, a lead ball handler, a guy to generate looks for Ant to work off ball, for Gary to work off ball, to get those guys opportunities where they didn't have to grind so they could get easier opportunities. And I think he's more than capable of doing that. I mean, for anybody who doesn't get to the games early and see guys warming up, this guy puts in a hell of a workout before every damn game. He, it's it's it's. He beats himself up so much and he isolates himself so much from everything else around him that I think it 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 precludes him from being what he can be. And I think you're right. I think he needs to get to the exact perfect place for it to work for him. And here's the thing. And this isn't a talent thing. I think part of it is where he grew up, his culture. It's very different from Portland. Nurk is from a very similar background and culture, and they grew up literally next-door neighbors, but Nurk has Dame. Who does Mario have? Who is his support network? Where is his family? Where is his friends? I honestly think part of the reason why he played in New York and why we saw some of that stuff be well in New York is it's New York City. There's no shortage of Croatian people and culture to be around. It's it's very—and so at the end of the day— It would surprise me absolutely zero percent. And at the end of this year, he went back to the EuroLeague. And it's not a talent thing. There's plenty of dudes in the EuroLeague right now who are balling out of their minds, who are absolute NBA players. But I think it's a place where he becomes much more comfortable being back there. And again, it's not a shot at his talent because I still think he's I still think he can figure it out because he's 24 years old. Yeah, it's
2: crazy. He seems so much older for having played for so many teams. Yeah like he in his 30s easily. Yeah,
0: he, he's one of those guys who's criminally you just look look at and this thing he could somehow like something could click. Maybe yeah. this offseason maybe he figures something out mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically whatever the hell it is and he's able to get to a place whether it's in Portland or somewhere else where it all works together. Doesn't mean I think he's going to be an all-star, but it could certainly come together for him and he could be a competent roster player that gets real minutes. I uh didn't expect that.
1: I thought you were going to say a decade. He was going to have a decade long career. Um, Well, that
0: put him at 34 now. So it's a little tough.
1: But I I mean, I'm kind of surprised that you went to the place that I would have gone, which was about uh, the, you know, who he's surrounded by, because, um, you know, how I've talked over the last couple of years about how guys find the like on the Blazers, you've. You're given you're you're in a place where you can learn how to find your own motivation, and uh and you know when Nurkic found Dame and you know we've seen from the articles that people have written about him and his relation the, you know the relationships between the the two of them, how that connection you know helped unlock some of the potential that that Nurkic had and like I talked about it last year when Mo was playing best it was when Nurkic was you know slapping him on the butt and cheering him on and guys like find those people to connect with who they're their teammates and they want to be their best and like I think that's why you know when we get the best out of Hassan Whiteside it's because he understands that his team needs him and he fully believes that he can do what his team needs out of him and um I think what you say about the situation with his own yet, is like, yeah, where he hasn't had time to get a relationship because everybody that he could have like really gotten close to, you know, got injured, had somebody else that he was working with. And, you know, he just kind of maybe got a little bit lost, a little bit I'll lost tell you in this, the
0: shuffle. Th- the death of Kobe definitely didn't help. Mm-hmm. D- did not yeah. help. Like that, that derailed a couple of these guys for, for a little while mentally. So um, and I didn't, I didn't get to that spot by myself. That's, again, from talking to people around the team who are with him on the road and, you know, out on the floor with him. Like, it's, it's something they all know.
2: You can tell he wants it, if yep. not for lack of effort or he's lackadaisical. It is. It's very much like Myers, a guy who wanted it so desperately, but he knows he's struggling, and he can, he can feel it. It was yeah. like when Myers got the ball and Moda Center was just like, oh, God, nope. <laughs> feel that. And he played feeding off of that. So it's not to put all the struggles on the crowd. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you start to struggle and then you feel those additional layers, it's not mm-hmm. going to help at all. It what?
1: makes you grip. And he he's struggled with injuries early, too, and he continues to struggle with injuries. So that can't be very helpful in getting his rhythm back. OK, we got to move on yep, um, real quick. Okay, so next one is from Matthew, Reverend, at Reverend Romulus. It seems less and less likely that the team will find themselves in the playoffs this year. How would you like to see the team approach the remaining games of the season? Such a great, thoughtful question.
2: It is. It's very nice. Two, I would like to words. see the young guys continue to get minutes. I, still, I would if Nurk is cleared. If he's healthy to play, I want to see him get yep. some minutes. I want to see him knock some of the rust off. I want to see him get over the mental hurdle of I can trust my body yes. in game. That's important. So I want to see that. And I want to see them go to the offseason as healthy as possible. That'd be the worst case scenario if there's some type of major injury at the end of the season yeah. when it's been a season full of injuries.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm in the same same boat, and I'm going to use Brian's favorite two words: load management.
2: Oh gosh, <laughs> um,
0: there's no reason. Here, here's the thing: I like to uh, see them try. I, I, it's if you've listened to this pod at any point in time over the last four years, you know that if you're not building towards something, you should be pulling back from something. That's my belief system. I think that the the Blazers should be pulling back from this. And and I've had this argument back and forth with Travis Demers. He's full go for it mode. I think he's probably pulling off that now with Dame's injury a little bit. But right now, Portland is what? One game back in the loss column. It should be two games back in the loss column from 13th in the West. 13th in the West. And they would put what six teams in the East in front of them. So they 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 can legitimately if they if if they fell back right now, they could have a top ten draft pick. That matters. That legitimately matters. Every talks about weak draft, weak draft. You can't you can't play the game if you don't put the money at the table. And the collective money here is that draft capital. And the difference between 14 and nine is real. It has been, and there's always exponential value. Everybody always looks like, how much better is it really? And it's like, you can just sit there and look at it, and they've actually charted actual value. It's exponential value when you're talking about five picks. Now, do I believe that that's like best case scenario, that that's, that's what happens? No, but two, three spots up, is that better than getting the last pick of the draft lottery? Yes. Yes, it is, because you're improving your odds. The same. The same reason... the Blazers used better positioning for the playoffs last year was sitting guys in the, in game 82 and it didn't work out out for them. (laughs) And it didn't work out for them the way they wanted it, but it worked out in the long run. But the fact that they ever keep hearing the, Oh, they'll never do that. They'll never try to, you know, anger the basketball gods, blah, blah, blah. They tried to do it less than a year ago. Like we have actual evidence with these guys there.
1: Yeah, but I think you're talking a lot of difference between one game and the last 25 games of the season. Here's
0: the thing. I don't believe Damian Lillard's coming back anytime soon from the original diagnosis. My belief is he misses closer to eight to 10 games. It has been that since he went down. When you pull a groin, you're out for a month. Very, very, very rarely are you ever back sooner than that. And we're talking about a guy who plays 38, 40 minutes a night. So... You make sure he's a hundred percent. That's goal number one. Goal number two is like what Brian said. If Nurk is a hundred percent, let him knock the cobwebs off, let him get out there mentally. More than anything else, I want to see him mentally right. Let Wenyon play, let Ant play, let Gary play. I don't know how I'm not talking about like, well, let's just up their minutes a little bit. Nah, let him go. Let let him get the Dame CJ 37, 38 like the minutes. Sacramento let, game. <laughs> yes, let them go. You guys go. 48 get, minutes. They are young dudes. When we're talking about load management and all that stuff, you don't load manage at 20 years old. You go play. Um, let Wenyon play. Let, let's, let's see what you have at anybody else. If you have to call up Moses and Jalen to, to get them their last couple games up in the NBA, fine, do it. I'm not saying actively tank. I'm just saying step back from the table. And that's that happens realistically. It's going to happen if Dame misses games. If Dame continues to miss games, that's what's going to happen anyways.
1: I can't so. believe you said you're not saying actively tank. That's like the most non-tanky thing I think I've ever heard you say.
0: <laughs> you know I'm saying? It's, there's, there's ways you can
1: – No, I get it. Don't you don't have, need to explain they it. Have,
0: they don't have a choice. That's the thing. Like if, if Dame, CJ, Roddy, everybody's healthy and they're giving Ant and Gary 35 minutes, that's probably influencing things a little bit more. But with the way things currently stand – it, it's it's not. Yeah. If you have to, sign a guy to attend it that you want to get a look at. I, I don't care. But fundamentally, health is, is the, the, the main priority.
2: Well, and the one thing I'd add to that is when they give the young guys minutes, it's not by charity. They have to be holding up their end of the bargain. Because if Anthony Simons continues to shoot four out of 20 in a clip like that, you can't justify – giving the guy that many minutes if you're Terry Stotts. It's like, uh, it's a random comparison, but my Miami Dolphins here, right? If you throw out Josh Rosen and he stinks to the high heavens, even though your future isn't Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're going to put Ryan Fitzpatrick out there because he's burning those minutes. So I'm all for playing the young guys, but they can't be out there just stinking it up and you expect Terry Stotts to still... Keep them out there. Yeah, this,
0: this isn't a- the this isn't the Pistons here. We're not we're not advocating for that. Oh, yeah, ouch! Wow. They're actively tank. Let's, let's let's be honest.
1: Wow. So. Okay, we got to move on. Uh, yep. This is from Daniel McCabe, Pinto three nine seven. Uh, Daniel thought we'd already recorded. Um, he said, "I listened to last week's podcast last night, and I don't think Danny has addressed his thoughts on Whiteside not getting traded." Uh, On the podcast since the trade deadline. So, a quick recap of your thoughts on Whiteside not being traded in. And Brian. The reason
0: reason people haven't heard it is because I can't use profanity on air or on the podcast. So. Well, there's also
1: nothing you can do about it. So.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, I can do it legally on the TV show just for everybody out there, just they get in trouble for if we do it. Uh, But regardless, uh, I'm pissed. Um, you everybody talks about. Well, it takes two to tango. Well, then maybe don't go to the dance hall that night. Don't don't plan your entire year around that that deal. Don't plan four years of team building and you know getting something in return off that. Um, and and Brian's heard the sound clip too. The whole we weren't actively shopping a saw White Whiteside. Come on, Neil. Come on, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> we know. If you believe that, God bless you. Please yeah. stay stay in the bubble that you're in. Whatever you do in life, I hope it's nothing but sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. But that is absolutely, unequivocally, entirely, 100% untrue. He absolutely. Was, he, he was shopped from day one. He was signed yes. with the intention of being dealt. That was the worst kept secret in Portland. Yeah. Um, there are things that precluded deals from happening. But you also and, – and, and so Olshay gets a bit of a pass, quote-unquote, in that regard. However, he doesn't get a pass for putting all the eggs in that basket because as, as weird and crazy, as much as we're focused on this season right now, we're focused on how CJ's playing right now, and a month ago how Dame is quite literally the best player in franchise history, in two months we're going to be looking at this team going, what the hell did they do now? And it's going to be a very, very, very harsh reality of their very limited options. And their inability to get anything of substance for Hassan Whiteside may be something that ultimately causes Portland to not be able to put the team around Damian Lowe that he needs to be title contender necessary. Like that's how detrimental losing that money for nothing may end up being.
2: Yeah, and it seemed like it was going to be a done deal. When they picked up Whiteside, it was, okay, you got a a major contract. You can flip that for something that can help them in the future. And there just wasn't that deal on the table. And it was spun, and unbelievably so, (laughs) that, oh, no, we weren't weren't looking to deal Whiteside. Have you seen his numbers? He's a double-double machine over here. We wouldn't even think. If you were in go-for-it mode, if the Blazers were a two or a three seed in the West— And you had serious championship aspirations. Yeah, it would make sense. Not where they're at, of course. For any legitimate deal, he would have been gone, boom, like that. No question about it. It just it didn't happen. And it's a blow.
0: Yeah, and the reason I haven't really gone nuts about it or really gone on my rant, I I lost my mind. I mean, Brian, you've seen me plenty, Terry. You've seen me plenty off air. (laughs) I I genuinely pissed off about this and it frustrates me it frustrates me to no end because of the financial implications of what this means for team building going forward and does it mean the end of the world no but does it make things significantly more difficult to build a roster around Damian Lillard yes in the very 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 real possibility that for Portland to get better CJ McCollum is on the block Like that's, that's really the only place you can go to right now. And and unless there's something out there that I'm just not seeing with the numbers, that is their only significant asset that would net a return. That would be enough to change that whole dynamic, both with the outgoing salary and the possible talent it could bring in. And that's, you want to talk about a franchise crossroads? I think that's where they're at now.
1: Yeah. I mean, when it comes to talking about this, I have to admit that I get annoyed because <laughs> you get so mad about something that you have no control over. <laughs> but then I remember it's because you love this team. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's that's the that's the thing that people need to keep in mind who are like, why is he so mad about this? Why is it it's because you truly love this I team this and team, want this I want team to, to get succeed?
0: I want them to be successful. I want them to the title. Brian and I are both St. Louis Cardinals fans. Brian, would you say that they're probably one of the three best run organizations in all of sports? Yeah, they're right up there. I mean, literal decades of success. It's because they line things up. They don't put themselves where there's only one move to make. They groom guys from a very young age, and they build up a lot like the Blazers do. They invest a ton in their own young guys. But when the time comes to strike, they strike, and they do it every single time without hesitation, both on the positive end and on the negative end. They, they let true. go of guy, Albert Pujols, who is their Damian Lillard, because... Yeah. The the franchise continuation meant more to them than what history was.
2: Yes, and I I would say quickly that I hear you totally. Basketball it can crumble faster. Yes, and if you look at the team, say say the Spurs, and they would be similar to your Cardinals comparison, where they're just plugging in guys, they're making shrewd moves. They've got it. It's a well oiled machine. And then Kawhi leaves. And where are they now? You know? So it can come apart pretty quickly in the NBA.
1: All right. Let's move on. Your uh, co host of The Outsiders, Dan, has just one question. Right now, is CJ a top 15 all time Blazer? We don't have time to list everybody's top 15, but tell me <laughs> where he is. I mean,.
0: Who's a better two-guard in this franchise's history? Who is more accomplished? I mean, obviously, number one's Clyde. After that, his next competition's Brandon. So he's third, at least. Direct competition's probably Wes. Would you put him above Wes Matthews as far as accomplishment? I think I would at this point in time. Uh, I think Wes is maybe a bit more of a complete player, but CJ's wins on the offensive side is probably higher. (sighs) Top 15 is probably fair. It's probably right where I'd put him, to be honest. I mean, you got Jerome, you got Buck, you got Walton. I mean, you start rattling through it. It's pretty easy to get through a top 10, right?
1: Yeah, I I I listed the top 10 real fast, and then it kind of came to a screaming halt, and I wasn't sure who to go with next.
0: Okay, so that's... 15 to 12 is probably where you find C.J., which, again, anybody who ever confuses me saying that I don't like necessarily C.J.'s fit, don't get it twisted with me saying he's a bad player. I've never once said that C.J.'s a bad player. I just just haven't liked the fit alongside Damian Lillard. So is he a top 15? Yeah, I think that's probably a safe bet.
2: I think he's on track. I I look at it where if his career ended right now, is he top 15? I'd say he's just on the outskirts. I don't have him at 77th, you know? But I'd have (laughs) him just outside the fifteen range. But he's screaming toward, yes, absolutely, no question being there. I just think he's slightly outside of it right now.
0: I mean, I think he probably benefits from the fact that Portland has had three really good two guards And then kind of him, right? Like That's where he kind of fits in. Where Portland's success has been, has been with bigs and point guards. The in-between guys, not really so much. So I think it makes his contributions to me stand out a little more.
2: Yeah, I think it's when you're in the midst of it, like put one of the guys that you might have CJ over, you know, like you're looking at their finished product. It can't get any better. I think you're looking at CJ... Knowing, hey, he's going to continue to produce. He's going to continue to probably improve. So if it's a finished product, if this is it, this is all we have from C.J., I think it's a different conversation. He just—it's not to dog him. He's a very good player. He hasn't been an All-Star. And if we knew this was it, he was done. I don't think it would as—it would be as big of a slam dunk that he's there. But just on the outskirts. That's all.
1: Okay, we got another one from. This one's from Sir Weezy at Weezy Sir. Can you be the defensive player of the year if your team has a bottom five defensive rating in the league and inexplicably gives up like thirty to forty points every quarter, asking for a friend?
0: <laughs> uh, Hassan has been uh, campaigning hard. Is, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm assuming there's probably an incentive in his contract. I'm, I'm almost certain with a contract that big that he has an incentive for defensive player of the year, all defense. Um, I, I, Hassan is a terrific shot blocker. He is not a terrific defender. That's yeah. pretty much beginning and end of it. Hassan may be the best shot blocker in the NBA right now, and not just like, not looking at counting stats. If you go at Hassan Whiteside's chest, unless your name is Zion Williamson, you're getting your stuff sent back. That's just yeah. that's just the reality of it. Um but yeah, you can't be a guy like that and get played off the floor by right. matchups pretty regularly. I mean, you look at Gobert, you look at AD, you look at Ben Simmons, you look at Joel Embiid, and you look at Giannis. Yeah. Those are the those are the five best big quote unquote defenders in the NBA right now.
2: And they don't look like a fish out of water outside the paint. Yeah, you know. He's a tremendous shot blocker. I love the shot he blocked last night, where he didn't send it 15 rows into the stands. He kept it in play. Like he's a great shot blocker. He blocked John Henson's hook shot. Yeah, like that's that's like if you look at Dame when they're chanting MVP. I get it. He's a tremendous player, but it's never going to happen with the Blazers' record being what it is. And it's similar with Whiteside in the Defensive Player of the Year award. It's just that couples his chances not remotely ending up with the ward it's just not, it's not gonna happen
0: but i appreciate the hassan Whiteside content absolutely hassan keep, keep, keep giving this to me because in a season like this when we said going in tara bare minimum was going to be interesting right <laughs> hassan has at least kept things interesting
1: yeah he certainly has and i hassan is one of those players that at the beginning of the year when he'd flex and carry on, I'd just be like, Oh, come on. And then I realized that like that fuels him. And when he does that, and when he feels that appreciation, he actually plays better. And, I'm a little bit worried over the last two games of what it's been like with him not having Damien in there because I feel like they had really reached uh, an understanding. like They finally got the pick and roll to be more effective than not. They had really made some strides in terms of their partnership on the court. And now uh, CJ is having to figure it all out. And I, I just saw the last couple of games, CJ just going, yeah, this isn't working. I'm just going to toss it to Mello." And you
0: know. <laughs> that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. We talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Um, I, it's not to, to sit here to bash us on, but over the last couple games, he has definitely been more emotional, more back and forth on the rails. As far as like, there was, there was a particular uh, couple plays against the Pelicans where he looked, uh, he was high post. Gary had the ball top left wing and he spun out twice in a row. The play was reset once both times he called for the lob of the pass over the top of the alley oop or you know the lead pass and he didn't get it either time and he threw an absolute tantrum. He lost his mind. Number one, it's Gary Trent Jr. How many lobs have you seen Gary toss? That's this that's not something we've seen in his bag, so calm down. Number two he wasn't open on either one of those spin-outs. But it was just like in his own head, he's always open. And those were kind of some of the things we heard about Miami. That's where you saw it kind of coming to fruition. And he went to the sideline, and Stotts and Dame both went to him and was like, you need to center yourself. woo-saw, find your chi, whatever it was. And we're seeing more of those. And I had... I had linked it more towards the fact that perhaps he felt like he didn't need to be necessarily quite as much on his P's and Q's because the deadline has passed. But now that you mention it, Dame not being on the floor, probably the big indicator there as far as, you know, keeping Hassan on that leash. Because he does. Listen, Ariza, Mello, everybody on that team has had a moment with Hassan where they want to strangle the life out of him on the floor. The look they give him, the face they make, the words they say that I can't say here. But Dame has has been that, that steady dad who just has unlimited patience to an extent, I should say. There's been a couple times where that's been tried.
2: Well, that's what I keep wondering is, and not to open a whole can of worms here, but if Whiteside is back and his role is much different, he's talked mm-hmm. openly about now I'm up to around 30 minutes per night. I was around 23 with Miami. Well, what if he's at 23 with Portland? How does he feel about that? If it's you know a combination of Nurk and Whiteside, and Nurk is getting more run instead of Whiteside, it's similar with Mello when he says, "I want to be back in Portland." Well, do you want to be back in Portland coming off the bench if that's the role? Like yeah. those are key questions with Mello and Whiteside going forward.
1: Yeah, and I don't think we can know those at all until next year when it's actually happening, because we've been wrong about so much for all of these players so many times. We've also been right, but we just we don't know what's in a player's head. And so Hassan's going to be 31 next year and Nurkic is, what, 25? Mm-hmm. You know, so at some point, I remember when I turned 31, I started slowing down. I mean, I'm not a professional athlete, but maybe by the time he's 31, he'll be okay with it. Or maybe he will be committed enough to this team or whatever team he's going to be on to understand that you know, what it's going to take for, to make the team better and what his role is. And I know that there's always a fight between, you know, professional athletes wanting to get out there and play versus wanting to, you know, do the right thing for the team team. herself. Yeah. We hear that. We hear that all of the time, but, um, I think we, we just absolutely don't know. And we, we can't assume either way that we know which way they're going to go. Anyway, uh, we should probably wrap it up here. That is all the questions that we have mm-hmm. right now. Brian, it has been a pleasure having you on and especially looking at you with your gorgeous Christmas tree behind you. It's just so yeah, festive. You. I love you it. Now, like,
2: uh, there's a guitar ornament right here.
1: Yeah, I there's can see the flashing star on
2: the top. What do you think about the donut Is ornament? that what that
1: is? Ooh, is tasty. it blue star
2: or voodoo? It's, uh, it, it looks more
0: voodoo, actually. Okay. To me. Yeah.
1: To have a bunch of Captain Crunch on it or something. It's, it's a little
0: too meta Portland discussion now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Do you have yeah. your, I want to know if your uh, where are, are Christmas lights up outside as well? No, I never put them up. Okay. I just
2: have a, uh, there's like a bow on the door. Yeah. And I'm like, that can stay too. That's yeah. fine. See, I put my lights up
1: and I leave them on because why take them down? They're so pretty. As soon as I take them down in like May, I'm just going to have to put them up again, you know, in the wintertime. So just leaving them up. Where are you on this, Dan? You look upset.
0: Dan legitimately
1: looks upset.
0: So my parents have um, fake – what do they call those? The – the cutouts for the windows. It's a, it's Decaus? a ranch style house. No, it's a ranch style house, oh. but they've got, they've got like a little bit of an attic and those cutouts have windows in them and they have, they've had wreaths in them for five years. Yeah. They know what's what, just because it's impossible to get to them. Like you have to like military crawl through like six you know feet of razor wire, you know, to, to get to them. And I'm just like, it's always weird when I come over in like July, and there's a wreath hanging in the window. And I'm always like, oh, whatever. You
1: don't look at him and go, oh, how festive.
0: I, I'm more bah humbug with, with uh, yeah,
1: decorations.
0: You, you I know is. that's hard to believe. No, but, I, that's uh, all an
1: act. I think in your heart, you're all for the oh, no, I don't, lights. No, listen, Tori is
0: 100% into it. Like, she takes it to another level. So we, we, we are yin and yang in that regard. So it works out well. <laughs>
1: Well, this has been your February, Christmas, and uh, holiday decorations update for everyone. Thank you so much for, for everyone who is uh, still tuned in. Um, it's been great talking. Like I said, great talking to you, Brian. You want to tell folks how they can find your work? By the way, no.
2: Yeah, just, uh, just follow me on Twitter. That's the best way at The No Show. I spell my last name N O E. So hit me up there at The No Show and listen to me on 620 Rip City Radio. NBC Damn. Sports Northwest is the TV side. So I'm on from noon to three there as well.
1: Do you call yourself the no?
2: No, I definitely do not.
1: That <laughs> just like rolled off your tongue so easily. I was like, oh my gosh, he might call himself the no show, but okay. Yeah. well He's, he's
0: got to plug it. He's got a promo. Yeah. It's, it, it flows out pretty easily, right? When you say it about a hundred times a day, you just kind of get used to it. <laughs> yeah. And
1: the Dan show.
0: Listen, I'm I'm not against it. I I don't know. I I always wondered if I had if I had a show, would it be the Meringue Show or would it be the Dan and whoever show? Like if I went duo, because the Meringue Show,
1: that's sounds tasty. It
0: sounds like a yeah. See. It's a lot lot of pie jokes. I think it's it's the way to go, right?
1: Yeah, I've been watching, with all the blazer losses, I've been watching a lot of the great British baking show. (laughs) Um, So it's been delicious. Uh, If not, you know, it's going to stick around for a while. Um, So one thing for uh, folks who are in the Portland area on the 27th, on Thursday the 27th, uh, we're going to be hosting, along with our friends from Rip Twitty, a uh, watch party where uh it's also gonna be a blazer gear swap. So uh you can follow me on Twitter at TCB Biggs and I have information about that event coming up on the twenty seventh. Bring your Rudy Fernandez jersey that you've grown out of and find another
0: what? Don't ever give that away.
1: (laughs) Well, or you might find one that you like even better. So, you know, come on, watch the game with us. We're going to have a great time on the 27th. Again, find me on Twitter at TCBBigs. Find Blazer's Edge at Blazer's Edge. And you can also follow the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks on Twitter. Dan, why don't you take us out of here?
0: All right. Perfect. Thank you, Tara. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Maring at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G at D on all other social media platforms because there's still somebody squatting on my handles. You monsters. Uh, other than that, you can find me on NBC Sports Northwest following every single Blazers game with Joe Simons where we will try to find a way to get through the next 25 games with a smile on our face. If not, we'll talk about burning down the NBA refs group to the ground a little bit more. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll find ways to really get involved and I'll continue my fantastic winning streak in gambling even if uh, Brian doesn't like the fact that I take minus two eighty. Uh,
2: unbelievable. <laughs> I cannot believe you took a money line favorite that was minus 280 you have- uh. That is outrageous right there. And by the way, to end on a Joe Simons like cheesy joke, mm. but loveful at the same way, at the same time, can listeners slide into the DMs
1: of DM, huh? Absolutely, the DMs are open. Has the no show been working on that this whole time? No, it just came to me. It just came to me. <laughs> wow, that gold,
0: that gold just comes to him like that. DMs, <laughs> DMs. That's uh, right. And with that, thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on for Tara. I'm Danny. We'll catch you guys next week, guys. Might.